Hello, this is episode 258. Now, in this episode, I'm going to be talking with Kate Cotter, who is CEO and founder of the Bushfire Building Council, which has actually recently been rebranded to the Resilient Building Council. Now, if you're building or renovating in an area where bushfire, flooding, cyclones or any other extreme climate event can can occur or you simply want to renovate or build in a more climate resilient way, then this episode and my conversation with Kate is going to be super helpful for you. I'm actually really excited about sharing this episode and also part two, which will be on the next episode uh, with you, because I think it's not only going to give you a framework of principles to consider in creating a more resilient home, you're also going to learn about Fortis Homes, and they can give you an amazing head start to your project as well. Now, if you'd like to grab a full transcript of this episode, plus information on the resources that we discuss, you can do that by heading to www.undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 258. That's the numbers 258. Now, let's dive in. I begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of country throughout Australia, and I recognise the continuing connection to lands, waters, skies and communities. I pay my respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and to elders both past and present. If we haven't met before, I'm Amelia Lee. Based in Northern New South Wales, Australia, I'm a wife, mum and architect, and I've worked in the architectural industry for over 27 years now. Having worked on over 250 projects, mainly residential family homes, as well as significantly renovating three homes of my own with my hubby, whilst our three kids were babies, toddlers and even older, I have a personal and professional understanding of the joy, challenges, stresses and excitement of making your family home a reality. In mid-2014, I started Undercover Architect and it's an online business to help and teach homeowners like you how to get it right when designing, building and renovating your family home. Undercover Architect is all about giving you access to the industry knowledge and insights you need to avoid the mistakes and dramas that can cost you thousands, tens of thousands and even hundreds of thousands of dollars. And it's about levelling the playing field so that the world of renovating and building doesn't seem so mysterious and you can be the active driver in your project, navigating it with know-how and confidence. Undercover Architect helps and teaches homeowners through this podcast, the website and our online courses and programs, including my flagship program, Home Method. I truly believe that when you know the questions to ask, the steps to take and the best way to create a home that works, feels great and that you feel great in, you can enjoy the process of building and renovating, as well as the home that you move into at the end of this ambitious journey. Consider Undercover Architect your secret ally, whoever you're working with and whatever your location, your budget or your dreams. Grab access to my free online workshop, Your Project Plan, and learn super helpful information to save time, money and stress in your reno or new build. You can find it at undercoverarchitect.com forward slash project plan. That's P-R-O-J-E-C-T-P-L-A-N. Now, let's get on to the episode. It is so great to be bringing this episode to you, my guest on this episode. She is someone I've been wanting to talk with on the podcast for some time now, and she's someone who has a wealth of knowledge to share that I know is going to be super helpful for you. So let me introduce you to Kate Cotter. Kate Cotter is the CEO and founder of the Bushfire Building Council of Australia, or BBCA, and it's recently been rebranded to the Resilient Building Council. You'll hear us talk about that in part two. 
uh, because at the time of us recording, they were actually going through the rebrand. Now, Kate established the Bushfire Building Council of Australia in 2015 to reduce the impacts of bushfire disasters on communities by strengthening the built environment. And she established the organisation to develop collaboration between experts, industry, communities and governments to motivate and reward disaster and climate adaptation. Applying a systems-based approach to risk mitigation, the BBCA provides independent expertise for governments, industry and communities regarding public safety policy, building design, legacy property update upgrades, community-wide preparedness, new building standards, resilience certification and financing. The BBCA is an independent not-for-profit organisation translating research into tangible action to reduce climate and disaster risk for households, communities, governments and industry. And their members are independent bushfire resilience experts working to solve complex disaster risk problems with innovative tools. Now, prior to establishing BBCA, Kate successfully advocated on behalf of bushfire-prone communities for planning policy reform after regulatory failure led to land sterilisation and poor safety outcomes. Make sure you tune into this conversation in this episode and then also stay tuned for part two on the next episode where you're going to learn more about building resilience, how to build for the climate challenges that we're experiencing and the key things to consider when building, renovating and maintaining your home for greater resilience. Now, as a reminder, you can grab a free download of the PDF transcript of this episode and all the links to the resources that we mentioned by heading to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 258. That's the numbers two. Five, eight. Well, Kate, I am so excited to have you here on the Undercover Architect podcast. You're somebody that I have watched from afar for some time, and I've been super interested in the work that you've been doing through the Bushfire Building Council of Australia, particularly following the Black Summer fires that we had in 2019, 2020, um, and uh, really, really uh, excited to be discussing uh, what you've been up to and the work that you've uh, particularly been doing lately to help people who are rebuilding after bushfires and also just wanting to build more resilient homes. So really, really excited to have you here. I'm wondering if we can kick off by you telling us a little bit about yourself about your background uh, and how you actually came to establish the Bushfire Building Council of Australia. Yeah, it's sort of a a sideways roundabout way to end up in the sort of resilient building space. Um, It probably all started back in 2009 after the um, Black Saturday bushfires in Victoria and had had friends that had lost homes and businesses and, you know, all the things that put their life's work into um, and there wasn't sort of a way that to get through all the regulation and understand actually how to build better and there was a real appetite for that at the time. Um, obviously when people have been through such a traumatic event, it is a moment where they don't want to repeat that, you know, don't want that to happen again. So yeah, friends were just saying, look, you know, I wonder how we could do this better. And I thought, I know nothing about this. You know, I was making wine in regional Victoria. I had nothing to do with, um, with wow. buildings at all, nothing. Um, and my parents actually at the same time were um, building down uh, the southwest coast in Victoria and uh, in a bushfire prone area. So they were also looking at how they might um, build a really resilient home. So um yeah, it was just friends and family all trying to build, you know, following disaster and thinking about how to do it better. 
So I thought, oh, I might just go poke around and have a little look at the science and um, all the resources that are out there and just try and find out more. And then I came across experts at CSIRO and um, engineers and um, just a whole lot of people who had all this great knowledge, but it was existing in these silos. It, it was there. It just wasn't in, I guess, in a, a way that people could consume. And sometimes um, advice was conflicting from, you know, material suppliers or building designers or scientists or engineers. So but wow, this feels a bit like a hot mess. Is there something we can do just to really make it easier for people to both get through the process but also understand what how their building would perform given a bushfire or later, you know, we've looked at the other hazards as well. So yeah, someone said something really funny to me once actually. They said, oh, I, I don't know how resilient a home is when I go and buy it like I'm, I'm looking for a home but I have no idea how it would actually perform there's no information and so I know more about my dishwasher or my dryer you know than than the home and I thought that really stuck with me um so I thought look why don't we actually formalize it let's bring all those experts together um create a not-for-profit and try and harmonize all that evidence and that research and put it to use, you know, make, make it available and accessible and consumable. So that's where that came from. So I've still got um, an expert panel that's grown but still has all of those founding members, all of those experts that helped out um, more than 10 years ago. So that's great. We still work together and um, everyone's got a different skill set. You know, there's a, a former emergency management commissioner, there's, you know, um, structural engineers, architects, builders, all sorts of people. And I think maybe that's why it's working, that we're not yeah, stuck in our silos and we're trying to work towards this really clear common goal and that's just make our built environment better, make it safer, more comfortable, um, more sustainable. Yeah, well, you you do have an incredible uh, wealth of experience in the expert panel that you have. And I can imagine your learning curve, you know, if your background was in winemaking, your learning curve must have been incredibly steep, but also um, perhaps a little bit, um, I mean, an, an advantage that you were outside of it looking in going, this seems far too complex. It seems far more complicated than it needs to be. And, and were able to see it with the same kind of eyes that homeowners and those navigating the experience would see it. But obviously, I, I suspect that you're completely underselling your own abilities to <laughs> galvanise people into action around a common vision and then what you've, you've been able to do in terms of your own learning um, to become uh, an experienced expert in this field. So I, I think it's just incredible what you've been able to achieve uh, and how you've driven a, a, a much larger conversation around um, bushfire bushfire resilient homes and building in bushfire prone areas in Australia um, and I'm just wondering what role does the bushfire building council play uh, in in conversation with government in setting of policy those kinds of things in comparison to other organizations because I know when I did uh, season 12 of the podcast which was all about rebuilding and build, building better that we produced after that black summer fires and I was blown away by how siloed the information was as well I couldn't there seems so much duplication from state to state of you know very clever people doing the same work without sort of any opportunity to share 
that kind of knowledge. So I love that the Bushfire Building Council of Australia is trying to cut through that. How do you see your role played out in terms of that conversation with government, with the community, you know, in, in changing the, the type of information that we share and know about building in bushfire prone areas? I think what we're trying to do is um, create systems, you know, that bring all of that knowledge together. And it's a real challenge. Obviously, we've got states and territories and we've got local governments and we've got different industry bodies and, um, you know, lots of sort of fragmented um, work going on. And so the challenge really is trying to, I guess, pull all of that together um, whilst respecting where that work and knowledge has come from. So uh, a lot of it is saying, well, you know, you've done this fantastic piece of work, you know, university or government, and we'd like to sort of try and bring that into a more national system or um, a, a simplified, you know, digital tool that people can use. So, it, yeah, it's really hard um, to do that. And I think that's what consumes most of our time is, really harmonising all of that information and making sure it's cohesive. So in terms of government, we tend to um, approach governments with something that um, is, I guess, useful in their local context but can be translated across state and territory borders. So um, I guess Fortis House and Star Ratings, they're our sort of two main projects. They try and do that, you know, you sort of develop them in partnership with governments and local communities, but you create them or deliver them in a way that um, provides a new system for the for the whole nation. So that's the approach. Um, it sounds easy. It's terribly challenging, and you know, can't make it as easy at all. No, really hard. But I guess one thing that's encouraging, um, you know, sort of with the governments and insurers and banks and communities and governments. It is actually straightforward in bringing them together on this, that single goal. I think that's, we're trying to sort of focus on that, you know, we want to adapt to the built environment. So finding, I guess, all the change makers in all of those organisations um, and focusing them on just that goal has sort of helped us, you know, <laughs> break down a lot of those barriers that exist, all those systems that make it harder to get sort of that scale of change that we need to happen here. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm obviously not a technical expert or I, my main strength is probably just bringing people together and then letting the experts do what they do best, but doing it together rather than off in, you know, all the silos. So, Yeah, I think it's fantastic. I. I know that one of your responses uh, to the Black Summer fires, it's actually been this range of houses that you touched on called Fortis. And um, they were released in April 2022. Uh, I have a dedicated website, fantastic resource, and I'll pu put all the links into the show notes for this episode as well. Can you actually tell us about why the Bushfire Building Council went about developing Fortis? It looks like a huge amount of work, massive amount of expertise that you've corralled and and uh, generated these incredible house designs. Why was this your response? What what was the pathway and what was your choice to do this? Yeah, well, we'd spent um, sort of the last 10 years trying to help people on an individual level. So people would contact us generally after a disaster and say, look, can you give us some advice about 
what I should do with my house design and what materials to use and things. So that's that was sort of what we did for many years and just tried to provide that as a service. It then became overwhelming because the demand got so big because of the breadth of, um, of our disasters. And also, I guess a positive thing is that people were also thinking about how they could um, do something before the disaster hit. So that's quite the sort of um, shift that we've noticed um, that we're getting sort of thousands of inquiries now from people who haven't lost homes but are worried about that happening in the future. So it just became too much work. We, we just weren't able to really help people to the level we wanted to individually. So we just thought, look, is there a way that we could sort of put out some resources that answer a lot of the questions that were being asked and make that usable, you know, for all Australians. So, yeah, it was really just to try and, I guess, do what we say we do, which is bring that information and make it accessible by everybody. Um, and, yeah, we just thought the best way would be to work with the communities that have asked us for the help and invited us in to try and solve some problems for them. Yeah. So the in terms of that process, because you worked with, I believe, the Shoalhaven community. So and and can you talk through some of that process about what you you know, the steps that you took and uh how you actually went about creating the range of Fortis homes that you have, how you worked with community to, I suppose, use them as a client to kind of create those designs and what you're ultimately sort of seeking to achieve with the designs that you created? Yeah, we sort of learnt after um Black Saturday in 2009, that people really needed something um, that resembled home. You know, they were not as accepting of, you know, technical experts or anyone else sort of walking in saying, look, this is how you should do things. So we never wanted that to be the case for Fortis. And we knew that um, whatever we came up with would be rejected if it wasn't actually co designed with the community, as you say, as a client. So um, it was a year and a half community engagement program, so quite a long time. Um, and we structured that as a set of workshops um, over that period. And then we would come back with sort of the technical response. So we'd build the, the sort of brief from the community, come back with some ideas and keep refining that till they were happy with the range of solutions. Um, and of course, no design is going to suit every person so that's why there was a very sort of deliberate decision that we would look for those common themes and they were really around connection to nature lots of light um the ability to sort of shut down the home for protection in the disaster but for its normal operation to be quite open and connected to to the place um and you know the shoal having such a beautiful place that that became the real technical challenge for us was, okay, how do we meet that community brief? Um, and that's where we had to sort of get innovative and, uh, yeah, quite the technical challenge, but really important. If we don't produce buildings that people want to live in, you know, we, we haven't done our job. Did you find it difficult to sort of, kind of earn their trust in that process? Because I imagine that, you know, they've been through something incredibly harrowing they're potentially feeling that they don't have a pathway through and out of it. Then this group comes in and says, hey, we want to help you design homes. And, and 
and also, I, I mean, the uh, even the most, um, you know, a homeowner doing this because they want to do this still underestimates how long and involved this process and design kind of journey can be. In terms of working with them and 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 earning their trust and getting that collaboration, was any of that difficult, or did you find that they sort of embraced the process? Like how 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 did that sort of feel as you were navigating it? We just decided to give it time. That was sort of the thing that I felt worked best was people were at sort of different stages of recovery um, and were in different stages along the design process. So some people had put some thought into it, some hadn't been able to yet because they just weren't emotionally ready to do that. Um, So we kind of made those first few workshops really about just listening. We didn't say anything about design or buildings or regulations or anything we just sat back and listened to their experiences, um, what what they wanted out of the project. Um, and I think what was really surprising was just the selflessness. They were saying, oh, well, yeah, we want to build a home and we need to solve that problem for ourselves, but we also don't want anyone else to go through what we went through. Um, so that was amazing. And that, that sort of took our breath away and we thought, well, this is actually bigger than what we thought it was going to be you know we were just trying to help a specific community but they had bigger plans than that they wanted to help the nation so you know it got serious I thought gosh we really better do a good job of this to um, I guess validate that trust in us we really need to be able to deliver on what what they're hoping to achieve out of it. That's tremendous. Like what a partnership and also what a responsibility to to sort of help them bring that that vision to to fruition and then to for you to be able to deliver what you've delivered um you know looking at what you've created through the Fortis website the designs the 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 just the wealth of information that is so generously given on that website to help people navigate their steps after going through something like this um uh, I like total hats off to you complete kudos for what you've been able to create and also to that community for being the fuel for this kind of dream coming to life. I think it's just absolutely amazing. And I, uh, the generosity, obviously, with which they've been able to operate at a time when, you know, recovery is a very different experience for everybody involved. So I think it's just, uh, it's just amazing. And I'm, I, I'm really, uh, you know, the, as I said, we'll put all the resources into the show notes. I really encourage anybody who is um, not just building in a bushfire prone area, but looking to create a climate resilient home. These homes aren't just about building in bushfire. They're building more climate resilient, more um, durable homes. There's some real, and they're just really well-designed homes in terms of their layouts. There's a lot of clarity and um, really strong functionality in the way that the plans have been done, the designs have been done overall, and also a lot of flexibility in the different presentations of them in terms of how the elevations, the reforms, those kinds of things can work. So I think they're great inspiration for any who's thinking about building in a place where they want to have an efficient, sustainable, functional home that has great indoor-outdoor connection, that's rationally designed. You know, all of these kinds of things are so evident in these homes. So, um, and you've got five different designs in the Fortis range. They're differently sized, different arrangements of layouts. So there's the pavilion, there's the L-shaped. And then, as I said, you've got suggestions for how you can adapt them. So there's things like I said, the roof design, but also elevating them on posts so that you can have some spacing underneath them, depending on if you're on a flat site or a sloping site. Um, and they're suited for sites that are up to a bushfire attack level of 40. 
so high rating. And then you've got adaptations for a bowel flame zone, for cyclone and for flood locations. So those designs, how did you actually find that you arrived at those five in terms of honing them, them down to that? And how have you seen them then being taken up by those that are in need and wanting to create a new home for themselves? Yeah, well, the designs were really driven from the community. So we um, went to their sites and had all of their, or whatever information was available from their site surveys. Um, so we were just looking at, you know, what what was the mix of, of sites and challenges? And there was a complete mix. So there was sort of the residential size blocks, um, uh, you know, sort of right near the ocean. There were steep sites in the middle of forests. Um, there were community members that had um, faced the bushfires, then they had storms and then they had floods. So that's where all that sort of multi-hazard collaboration came in because we couldn't, again, just focus on a single building objective. We had to deal with the reality of what they'd faced. So, um, it, yeah, it really came from their physical sites was where those different um, design uh, shapes and, and flexibility came from. Um, it was actually interesting um, seeing that diversity within one community <laughs> and thinking, right, okay, we do we do need to work with lots of different um, environments here. So I think that was probably a challenge but a great thing in that once we thought, okay, this would be something that would be shared across the country, we obviously have to design for as many climates and situations as possible. Yeah, and I can imagine too looking at those different, um, the nuances and the different types of clients and their site differences, also restraining yourself that you didn't end up creating sort of 20 or 30 different designs, but you had five sort of core ones that could then be adapted in various ways. There would have been a lot of, a lot of discipline in that process as well, I imagine. Yeah, and it always makes it harder refining something down to a few options, doesn't it? You know, it's it's really hard. Um, but I think it's the right thing to do. And then we sort of made sure then that the principles that supported those designs were principles that you could apply to any design so that we weren't saying, oh, gosh, these are the only five that will, you know, perform well. No, it's like take the principles that we're demonstrating in those five and apply them to, to your own home and your own preferences. Um, and we've seen some people start to build to those Fortis standards already and that's encouraging and kind of exciting because then you're going, oh, wow, look at how they've taken those principles and turned them into something we couldn't even imagine. So, um, yeah, that's important. You have to be able to do that. Yeah, well, the, the, each of the homes does follow specific research and it, and those engineering principles in your design. I'm going to read through them because I thought they're actually a really great list. We see so often that when people start to think about how they're going to go about making their projects happen, that they get fed a lot of legislative information that's all about, you know, construction methodologies and building details and specific codes and requirements for components and that kind of stuff. And what I felt your engineering principles did instead was give a really good core foundation for uh, really legible 
you know, translatable things that can apply to anybody who's, as you said, building a project in this kind of area, but also can be really um, understandable for the for the Fortis range of homes as well, and make a lot of sense. They're they're actually for anybody to understand. It's it's very pragmatic, and it makes sense for that kind of um, environment. So you've got the first is a protective outer shell, then you've got a protected subfloor, uh, a separate resilient shed, an aerodynamic roof form minimal building penetrations, multiple exit points and visibility, non-combustible robust materials, optimised siting and building ventilation. So how did you actually distill down to these being your specific principles and those core foundations? So, I mean, one that really interested me was that separate shed because the separate shed's got the the infrastructure inside it. So then this idea of having a non-combustible shed that then you know, you can get your infrastructure back up and running after a bushfire has been through or some type of disaster has been through quite quickly. I'd imagine that that could really change the game for how people can occupy their sites again and and don't have to be away from home for long periods of time. So in terms of, yeah, these these core principles, how did you come up with those as a team? Yeah, I think um, the starting point was really looking for the common ground. So we all started with... um, I guess, everyone's individual expertise and the research that they knew about. So um, all the fire engineers are very much about, um, you know, being able to have redundancy, you know, so that's why we've used a steel frame because, you know, if the embers get in, can we prevent uh, the roof cavity and the frame catching fire? So everyone sort of came with a particular element they felt very strongly about and could sort of back that up with research. And then the trick was, okay, well, how do we sort of harmonise that? What do we end up with um, from the flood people, from the structural engineers, from the fire engineers, from the architects, from, you know, looking at um, how we also, um, you know, mould and um, condensation and ventilation and how do we sort of bring all that together? Um, I guess the example about the resilient shed and the um, protective outer shell was really focusing on how do we get people back into their homes quickly. That was really where that trauma came from was, you know, the amount of time spent out of home and often out of community. So we're trying to prevent all that dislocation. And people had also lost um, tools of the trade, um, things that prevented them from working, having an income, you know, Lots of things that we might not think about when we're looking at buildings, you know. Um, so, yeah, being able to bring people back into their function home really quickly was where a lot of those principles came from. Um, and the shed one is interesting because it doesn't actually take much to do some ember proofing and, you know, raise things off the ground for flood resilience. Um, you know, it, it's not hard to achieve, but you've just got to, come up with that as an an objective. So that's where those things came from. Some of the, I guess the protective outer shell one is interesting in that we've got the window set back um, sort of 1.5 metres from from the edge of the building and that shell um, sort of creates an internal uh, open air um, veranda really around the home. And that came from because all of the hazards, so we had the cyclone testing station and James Davidson architects were doing a lot of the flood work in Queensland and all of our fire people. And we just all sat around and went, we've got to protect windows. Like it's just such a weak point to the building. Um, we want to do that for um, energy and therm- energy efficiency and thermal comfort as well. And 
So some of those light bulb moments were really clear. We, we could say, right, that is an absolute winning principle because it works across all of our objectives. Um, and, yeah, I think also talking to industry, we knew that if we came up with quite high-level objectives, there was a better chance that the buildings would actually get built better <laughs> because everyone was clear about what the objective was rather than even though we provide all the details in the specifications in the handbooks that people can download. Focusing on those doesn't really mean that everyone's understanding what the objective is. And that's where we see once things are actually built, you know, they're not performing very well because, you know, the roof, roof plumber didn't understand that we were trying to meet this objective and the electrician didn't understand. So, you know, it, it ends up in a, in a poor sort of built um, uh, finished products. So that's what we also wanted to avoid. Yeah, well, I think that those principles, they really simplify and do give somebody somewhere to return to, to as a checkpoint or a reference point as their design may be progressing. So even if they take the Fortis home and they adapt it, or they start from scratch with their own design, um, to be able to sort of check it back against those things does give very clear guideposts for okay, this is what a very clever, experienced group of people have workshopped and really resolved together as these guiding um, foundations for resilient design and building. How do we then bring them into our project? So, and and like you say, that protective outer shell for um, for flood, for cyclone, for fire, you know, it's a, a glass is a strange thing because in a lot of these locations, you are wanting to build with a strong connection to the outdoors. You're wanting to ventilate the home. You're wanting to make the most of that natural environment, but you're immediately subjecting the home to entry points uh, and and to something that breaks easily. So I think that, um, you know, I live about 20, 25 minutes from Lismore and uh, my kids go to school there and just seeing what what a flood is capable of doing in destruction to building envelopes um, really blew my mind just in, in how forceful and uh, aggressive and violent it was capable of being. And, um, and when homes and buildings aren't built with that protective outer, outer shell in mind, you know, just how they're then subjected and how much longer then the rebuild process actually is and that reoccupation and um, that whole dislocation from community, as you mentioned, and then people not having somewhere comfortable or secure to live uh, and get sort of on with their lives and reestablish their ability to work and that kind of stuff. So, you know, I see that so many of these built solutions facilitate healing in so many ways that we just, we just don't anticipate. We sort of, and, and I, uh, yeah, I think it's just fantastic that it, it gives people sort of a clear pathway to, to be able to identify um, what's going to make a building kind of work in these, in these environments. So now that's it for part one of my conversation with Kate. Isn't it amazing to hear about the Fortis homes and how closely and collaboratively the BBCA worked with the community to create them and so much effort and expertise and experience has gone into creating Fortis. So I really do encourage you to check out the website, check out the home designs, check out all of the resources that are available there. They're going to be great inspiration and guidance on creating a climate resilient home. So you can access the free downloadable PDF transcript of this episode and also the links uh, to find out 
out more about Kate, the Bushfire Building Council and the Fortis Homes by heading to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 258. That's the numbers 258. And make sure you tune in next time for part two of my conversation with Kate. We're going to talk about what you actually get in the packages for the Fortis Homes, what they include, uh, the information that's there and why it's included. And then we're also going to be discussing the Resilient Star Rating Project, an app that the BBCA are launching to help homeowners freely identify what they can do to improve their own properties and actually have recognizable a, a recognizable rating to demonstrate the results. Did you know that 90% of homes in high-risk areas are not resilient to bushfire? And so this project is going to really put information back into the hands of homeowners to help improve that st- situation and get data-driven results so that you really know the difference that you can make to your own home. We're also going to be talking about the rebrand to Resilient Building Council and how exciting all of this uh, rebrand and what it actually means for those who can access the information on the Resilient Building Council's resources, you know, what it's actually going to mean for climate resilient design and building in Australia. As always, thank you for tuning in and for letting me be your secret ally. Until next time, bye. Bye.